Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Today, Pastor John continues in the series entitled Power of Love. Today's subtitle is 4D Love. And now, here is Pastor John with today's message. Ephesians chapter 3. When I think of all this, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. Listen, when the, when the writer of one-third of the New Testament prays for a church, it makes this pastor pay attention. So he cries out to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And look at what Paul prayed for. I pray that from his glorious unlimited riches, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Where does that strength come from? Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love, into his love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, watch, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Father, I pray that this, would, that this would be made manifest in this church today, in these hearts, in these lives, in these minds, as we submit ourselves, not just to the hearing of the word, but the doing of it, the understanding of it, the grasping of it, and the putting it into practice, as Pastor Robbie said at the opening of the service, not just to claim we have faith, but that we put it into practice in our lives for all to see. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, over this Valentine's Day week, I'm sure you've seen lots of portrayals in in movies and shows and advertisements of what the world calls love. And, And while most of them do show some aspect of love, most of the ways our society thinks of love is far too shallow and far too anemic when it's compared to the love that's portrayed and described in the Bible. Love is the greatest power on the face of the earth. It's far more powerful than what makes two people attracted to each other. It's far more powerful than what makes lifelong friends. It's far more powerful than even a parent's love for a child or a child's love for a parent. Those are aspects of it, but that's not the full picture. The kind of love that that God has is not just a three-dimensional love. It's It's not just a love of reality on this earth. According to the scripture that we just read, God's love is four-dimensional. It's a 4D love. There's a height, there's a depth, there's a width, and there's a length to the love of Jesus Christ. And that love supersedes anything we have ever experienced on this earth. It's not 3D, it's 4D. Paul said in this prayer that when you begin to understand that love, your roots will grow down into it and it makes you strong. And then he said once you get strong, once you start to understand it, though you never really fully understand it, 
that it'll grow you up, it'll mature you, it'll make you complete, make you full of life and full of the power of God. Love does that. God's love does that. It's a real life, all-encompassing kind of love. It's, it's a tangible, attitude-changing, action-causing, life-altering, undeniable kind of love. You can't just fall into it and out of it on the, 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 the way you do other kinds of love. I'm going to say it again. Love is the greatest power on the face of the earth. And it's time that the church of Jesus Christ get back to, to that one foundational understanding. Love comes first. Love God and love others as you love yourself. And everything else is put, can be put in its rightful place. But if you get anything else in front of love, then your motives are poisoned and your actions are self-serving. So today we're going to continue our series called The Power of Love with a message called 4D Love. The four-dimensional love of God is foundational and we need to understand it and apply it as we continue to pursue a right relationship with him, one that glorifies him and one that extends his kingdom. So let's start with the first and most important one. Love drives ministry. Love drives ministry. Here's John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. And Jesus said, so feed my lambs. And then Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. This is really interesting exchange between Jesus and Peter, one of, the, one of the three men who was closest to Jesus in his ministry on this earth. Now, there are a lot of layers to this conversation right here, and we don't have time to get into all of those layers, but there's a context of ministry that Jesus puts forth here that I don't want us to miss. Peter is the disciple who is probably more famous for his big mouth and for his failures than for any of his good qualities, though he had plenty of those. See, we don't remember him walking on the water. We remember him sinking. We don't remember him proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah before anybody else. We remember Jesus having to tell him, get thee behind me, Satan. We don't remember him declaring his willingness to die, sincerely declaring his willingness to die for Jesus. What, re what we remember is just a few hours later when he abandoned him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, of course, we remember just a few hours after that, him denying three times that he even knew Jesus. And so this exchange takes place after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection because Jesus spent 40 days on earth after that at pulling together the remnants of his followers, giving them final instructions uh, before he ascended to the Father where he is seated right now. So this is a man who had failed in almost every way you could fail in ministry. But Jesus was still setting him forth into the ministry, 
calling him to be a pastor. That's what it means when he says, feed my sheep and feed my lambs. And notice, notice what Jesus said in this, in this uh, service, this ordination service of Peter. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, Peter, are you loyal to me now? He didn't say, Peter, have you conquered your pride yet? He didn't say, Peter, have you learned to keep your big mouth shut yet? Uh, in making sure that Peter was qualified for ministry and ready to re-enter the kingdom work, Jesus only asked him one question. Do you love me? Do you love me? He asked him three times. Once for every time he had denied even knowing him. Why is that? Because Jesus knew that love drives ministry. Jesus didn't do anything because he had to. You, you, Jesus didn't do anything because he had to. You can't, you can't compel the Almighty. You can't make God do anything he doesn't want to do. We realize that, right? He does what he wants. So when he left heaven to come to earth to die for our sins, he did it because he wanted to. And the reason he wanted to is that he loved us. The Bible makes that clear, that he did it because he loved us. So that means every aspect of his life and ministry on this earth was motivated by love. Every sick person that he healed, every blind person that he touched, every sinner he embraced, every child that he welcomed and blessed, even every Pharisee that he rebuked, he did everything because he loved let me show you some examples. Jesus needed some time alone to rest and to pray. He had actually just found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been executed. But his love and compassion for people drove him to minister beyond his physical limits. And he ministered to them for hours. This was right before he walked on the water to get across. Here's another example. He wasn't supposed to talk to a woman much less a Samaritan woman, but his love for the woman at the well drove him past racial barriers, drove him past social barriers, not only to talk to her, but to offer her forgiveness. Here's another example. The law of Moses required that anybody caught in adultery, that any, that any adulterous woman should be stoned, and man too for that matter. That's the part they left out of the, of the story. But his love, Jesus' love for this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery drove him past religious barriers and legal barriers to save her life and to challenge her to stop living a life of sin. And on another occasion, people had stayed and listened to Jesus teach and preach all day long and, the, and it was way past time to send them home. But his love for them drove him past financial barriers and the laws of physics, and he said, y'all just sit down. I'm going to feed you with these little loaves and fishes. Jesus didn't have to do anything. He was under no obligation. The ministry of Jesus Christ to us is because he loved us. And if we're going to take, to, if we're going to carry on the ministry of Jesus and continue it further, then we're going to have to be driven by that same love for people. Look at Luke chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Luke 5, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. 
So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Listen, that's extraordinary ministry. Those are extraordinary lengths to go to. And listen, you you might carry a man on a stretcher because you feel sorry for him. But you don't climb a roof, destroy property, (laughs) and risk rebuke and rejection for somebody unless you love him. Right? It was their love for this man that drove their ministry to him. And no matter who you are or what you do for the kingdom, it has to be driven by love. Even when you love, you get weary in well-doing. But if you don't love God and you don't love the people that you're ministering to, you'll quit and go home way before it's time to quit. So let me ask you this morning, what's driving you? What's driving you to do what you do for the kingdom? Why are you doing? Why are you serving? You see, love is why we serve in ministry. Not guilt. Not not pressure. Not obligation. Not shame. Love is why we witness to people. Listen, not just because we think we're right. We're not here to win the debate. We're We're here to win the heart. Ministry should rise up from the hearts of people who are in love with Jesus and who love people as much as Jesus did. It's not that character doesn't matter. So when Jesus interacted with Peter, it's not that he didn't care about Peter's heart, not that he didn't care about his character. It matters a great deal. It's just that love is what drives people to change their character. It's not that loyalty and faithfulness don't matter. It's that love is the reason that people stay loyal and stay faithful to the people they serve. You get better because you love people. You learn skills and get training because you love people. You give more because you love people. You show passion for people because you love them. Jesus knew if he could make sure that Peter loved him, everything else was going to fall into place. Because love drives ministry. And it's true for us today. Love has to be first and foremost before any qualification. It's the most important qualification for any ministry position. You sweep and mop and vacuum the church because you love Jesus, you love his house, and you want it clean for his people. Right? you, You keep and teach the kids. Because you love Jesus and you love these children enough to take care of them and to teach them the ways of the Lord. I do what I do because I love Jesus and because I love you enough to preach the truth even when you'd rather not hear it. I love you enough to lead you even when you'd rather stay where you are. I love you enough to pray for you and to keep loving you even when you wish I'd leave you alone. You see, it doesn't matter if you have seminary degrees. It doesn't matter if you have a certificate or a diploma or a stamp of approval from some licensing board. That's good, but it's not enough. If you don't love Jesus and if you don't don't love the people that you're called to serve, you need to quit or at least take a break until you get your heart straightened out because love is what drives ministry. The other two points are related to the first. They're related to ministry. 
These next two make ministry possible. So here's the second thing. Love draws to repentance. Love drives ministry, and love draws to repentance. You see, this is something that you don't hear in the American church much anymore, but there's no way to have a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life unless and until a person repents. Repentance is required for salvation. And there's, there's a dozen scriptures to show that, but Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, this is what Paul said. Listen, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in, time, in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere. Does that pretty much cover everybody? Everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. Repentance means a change of mind that results in a change of action. A change of mind that results in a change of action or behavior. You, you, you change your mind about what you believe. You change your mind about your actions. You change your mind about your behaviors, your attitudes, the entire direction and foundation of your life. See, most people just do whatever they think's right. Don't you, do you remember what life was like for you before you met the Lord, before he found you? You just pretty much did whatever you thought was right. But when you encounter the truth in the person of Jesus Christ, you had to change your mind about how you'd been living. You, you have to realize that without a relationship with Jesus, that we're lost, we're without purpose, we're without hope. We, we are responsible for this endless mountain of sin that we could never pay for, and we're destined for hell. And so you changed your mind and you came to Jesus, and you asked him to forgive you of your sin, and, and, you, and you repented, and then you demonstrated that you were going to live a life different than you had before. Now, based on your beliefs in Jesus, you surrendered yourself to him. That's, that's biblical salvation. It's not pray the prayer, sign the card, shake the hand, join the church, good to go. It's a life-altering encounter with Jesus Christ that changes everything in your life. Do you realize that the only reason you have a chance to repent is that Jesus loves you? People say, well, making people repent is just, is just humiliating. It's insulting. It's about shame and guilt. Not at all. Not at all. Look at these two scriptures. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Romans 2 and verse 4, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? His kindness. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. This one's pretty mind-blowing when you see the context. The Lord's not being slow about his promises. What, what promise? His promise to come back. He said he's not being slow about it like people think. He's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anybody to be destroyed. He wants everybody, what? To repent. He wants everybody to repent. Why would God be patient, even going so far as to put off the second coming of Jesus Christ as long as possible? Why would he do that? Why would God be, be so kind as to send us the message of salvation in the first place? What? Why would he place people around us to communicate and demonstrate the gospel? Why would he allow his Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin and cause us to repent? Why would he do that? There's only one logical answer. 
Because he loves us. Because he loves us. You're kind and patient and tolerant towards the people you love. God loves us so much, he's waiting on us, uh, uh, us, not just us as individuals, but as, as a human race. He's waiting as long as he possibly can for us to hear and to understand and receive the truth of the word of God so that we can be in right relationship with him. It's not about guilt or shame or humiliation. It's about relationship. So when you understand that God's drawing us to repentance because of love, it changes the whole concept. It changes the whole thing, man. It's not, oh my goodness, I've sinned. Let me slink away over here and try to hide from God because he's going to be so angry with me. He's going he's to get me. That was Adam and Eve in the garden, right? When you understand that, that God's love draws us to repentance, instead, when you sin, it's, oh my goodness, I've sinned. Let me run to the Father and get this right because my sin is going to separate me from him. It's going to grieve him and hurt him and damage our relationship. You see the difference? You see the difference there? Look at Luke chapter 15, verse 7. Luke 15 and 7. In the same way, Jesus, this is the words of Jesus, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. If you're sensing the conviction of God in your life, telling you that you need to repent of your sin, that's just God's way of saying, I love you. I love you. Hurry up and repent so I can forgive you and so we can throw a party over you in heaven. That's what that's all about. Look at 1 John 1 and 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we do our part, God will do his part. We repent, he forgives. Not because he hates us, because he loves us. Even if you've had a relationship with Jesus and, and you've strayed away, he is still waiting eagerly for you to come home to him. Same chapter in Luke, chapter 15. Look at this, just three or four verses. A few days later, this is a parable. The, this younger son, man had two sons. His younger son packed up all his belongings, took his inheritance, moved to a distant land, and wasted everything he had on wild living. He said, man, that sounds like my whole life right there. Well, look at verse 20, because that, that life comes to an end pretty quick. So this is what the young man did. He returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said, Father, I've sinned against both you, heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. His father completely ignored what he said. But he said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We have to celebrate with a feast because this son, not servant, this son of mine was dead and he's now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. I love this. So the party began. The party began. You just thought you were done partying. The son just thought he was done partying when he came home. 
Did you see the love and the compassion of the father? He, was, he wasn't excited because his son had had a rough time. He wasn't excited to see him crawling back, slinking back to him in shame. He was excited that he was coming home. It's his love that draws people or leads people to repentance. Listen, there will be a time when God is sitting on the throne as a judgment bench, ready to punish sin and hold people accountable. But right now, he's holding off that wrath as long as he possibly can because he wants us to come to him or to come back to him. And listen, if we preach repentance only from the context of judgment, we're shortchanging people and we're shortchanging our relationship with the Father. There is a loving Father who is just as motivated to see people repent now as he will be to judge the wicked then. That's why Paul said when you understand the love, the four-dimensional love of Christ, it makes you strong, it makes you mature because love is the motive for everything. Love drives ministry and love draws people to repentance. And here's here's the last one. Love demonstrates the divine. Love demonstrates the divine. Do, do you know who carries out ministry? Who, who carries out the work of the kingdom? Yeah, people. People. You and you and you and you. All of us. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Luke 10 and 2. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few, so pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Those aren't angels, those are people. God, send people into your harvest. The work of the Lord takes people. People. He's depending on us to carry his gospel to the world. Well, what kind of people does he want carrying the gospel? Look at John 13, 34 and 35. It's the last night of Jesus' life. He said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Oh, man. Wouldn't it have been easier to say, give 20% instead of 10? Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Well, how did Jesus love them? He just washed their feet. Your love, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Oh. He said, I'm leaving this world, but you're going to keep carrying out the mission And they're going to believe that you know me and that you follow me and that I'm in you and with you because you have my love in you. It's love that demonstrates the divine in our lives. You say, well, John, I I do love God. It's these other people that I'm having a hard time with. (laughs) Yeah, I know the feeling. But did did you see what Jesus said? He didn't say they will know you're my disciples because you love me. He said they'll know you're my disciples when they see the way you love each other. That's the way they'll know I'm with you. You see, the world sees enough hatred and enough division and enough fussing and fighting and criticizing and finger pointing. that They can do that by themselves. That's natural. It just rises up in you and comes out your mouth, right? Before you have time to turn the valve off. 
Jesus knew that love was the key to making his people, his people distinct. This was right after he washed their feet and told them to do the same. See, Jesus knew the world didn't need haters or crusaders or debaters or demonstrators or any other kind of taters. What the world needed was servants. What the world needed was people who actually love each other, who don't always agree with each other, who are very different from each other, but who always find a way to make it work and to find common ground. That kind of love stands out. That kind of love reveals your relationship with Jesus. That kind of love demonstrates the divine, not power, not position, not status, not influence, not miracles, not crowds, not resumes, not diplomas, none of that stuff. Love, the love of God shared with us through his son, Jesus Christ. Look at, at 1 John 4, and this will hurt your feelings. Dear friends, let's continue to love one another. And this is from, written by John, who was there to hear Jesus say that. Let's continue to love one another because love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who doesn't love does not know God. Ow. For God is love. Look at verses 11 and 12. He just keeps hammering this. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other that much. No one's ever seen God, but if we love each other, and, and the, under, the, the understood there is whom we have seen. We've seen each other. We say we love God. We've never seen him. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. You can't demonstrate the divine without love. It's just not possible. If, if, we, learn, if we will learn to start with love, everything else follows. Ministry follows. Repentance follows. People get drawn to the demonstration of the divine through our love because God is love. And if you claim to be from God, you better bring his love with you because that's his essence. You say, well, I'm not sure I can, I'm not sure I can um, operate in God's kind of love. It's just not in me. Well, let's look at Romans chapter 5. In verse 5, Romans 5 and verse 5, And this hope will not lead to disappointment because we know how dearly God loves us, that's God's love, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with what? His love. So you can't say you don't have it in you. If you love God, His love is in you because He gave you His Spirit. The key is that we have to get out of the way. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to live through us. That's what walking in the Spirit means. It means you get out of the way more and more, and He comes through you more and more. You see, I think we focus on too many things, too many other things in the American church. Because I think in some ways we discount the power of God's love. It's like we don't trust, we don't have faith to believe that God's love is enough. 
So we add our rules and regulations, right? We add our clever little schemes and paths and protocols. The love of God does not need our help. There's no greater love in the universe than the love of God expressed through His Son, Jesus Christ. And in our opening scripture, Paul said that if we could understand the four-dimensional love of God, it would change everything for us. I would suggest that we pray this prayer over ourselves today. The prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed over the Ephesians church. God, help me understand your 4D love. How, how deep and how wide and how long and how high your love is for us. Lord, let it drive my ministry. God, let it drive my service to you. Let it draw me to repentance. Let it demonstrate the divine through me to everybody I know. That's the prayer. That's the prayer that Paul prayed over the church. And it's the heartbeat of this pastor for this church because the power of love is immeasurable. Would you stand, that, stand with me, please? Listen, we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray this prayer over us and pray it once again over us. But then this altar is open, and I want you to come and pray about this or about anything you've got going on in your life. If you've got a relationship issue, you've got a financial need, a physical issue going on, whatever's going on in your life. Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. Not, not just a house of praise and worship, not just a house of preaching, but a house of prayer. So there's absolutely nothing wrong. As, as a matter of fact, there's nothing more in order than you coming to pray. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.